0: The 316th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now.
1: This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan. Jumper from out on the
2: left. Good! They're way to Worthy! Early 5! The Star Heels are going to win the National Championship! Weber front court Carolina with foul.
0: He takes the timeout. Technical They're out foul. Of timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul on Michigan.
2: They're out of timeout. Frontcourt. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded.
0: 79 and how about them Tar Heels, they are the
1: national champion.
0: I've been the luckiest coach in the world.
1: Pump fake for three, too strong on the shot, that's it! The Tar Heels are the national daggum champion. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years, and the way that we will play will be the Carolina way.
0: My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would.
2: Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta.
0: Hello and welcome to another live edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina E-Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back with you guys. Two and a half hours or so after Carolina goes to Boston College, to uh, a very cold chestnut hill and emerged a victorious 76 to 66 to stay unbeaten away from chapel hill and more importantly in the acc and we're here to take you through the game we'll do what we always do when we recap a ball game we'll take a look at the box score you'll hear from head coach hubert davis uh we'll have our stat of the game takeaways our discussion topic and so much more but Without any further ado, we'll go ahead and, and jump right in to this thing. Um, we told people going in, be prepared for a forty-minute ball game, um, and I think some Carolina fans laughed at us and, and thought it was uh, maybe uh, you know us trying to just create some narrative that Carolina was going to go on the road and get beat. Well, I think we saw firsthand that a Boston College is a quality basketball team. Um, They play as hard as anybody in the conference. Earl Grant does as good a job as any coach getting the most out of his talent. And if you've been following the sport at all this season, um, when teams leave home, they lose. That's just kind of what we've seen, especially since we got to January when conference play. No matter the conference, no matter how good these teams are, teams are leaving home and they're losing left and right. Except Carolina, um, and that was the case once again today, um, as they made all the winning plays they had to make down the stretch to improve to fifteen and three on the year. They're seven and zero in the league for the first time since 2015, 2016. It's the twelfth time that this team has started seven and zero in conference play all time. So this group is, you know, doing some. Ast- historical things for, for program standards. And, um, you know, I think today was just another example of how good this team is, how tough this team is, how resilient this team is, all three ingredients you got to have if you want to be a legitimate national title contender come
2: March. Yeah. And everything that you just talked about right there. They find a way to win a game by double digits again. And so Carolina has now won six consecutive games in the ACC by double digits for the first time since 1992 93, which, by the way, that season, of course, they end up winning the national championship at the end. They did it in uh, in 10 consecutive ACC games. And this is, you know, the first time Carolina has won eight straight games by 10 plus points in the same season since 2008-2009. So just to put into a little bit of perspective just how good Carolina is playing at this point of the season, um, you know, I I think... This is starting to show this stretch right here for Carolina. One that the you know opponents, I mean Louisville uh, is is not one of the teams that's going to be the more difficult that Carolina plays. But that was one of those midweek games that you felt that they could sleepwalk through. But really today, moving forward is where things start to get a little bit more difficult for Carolina. And I thought today, you know, having to go on the road, it was a sold out crowd. Um, you know, Tom Wormy said that's probably the best crowd that he's seen. At Boston College, since he started covering the ACC. Um, You mentioned, you know, when we were previewing the podcast that they had some good teams back in the mid 2000s. But really, since then, I mean, there have not been a lot of things to get excited about with Boston College basketball. And look, this team that they had this year is much better. Carolina saw that, I think, on Saturday. And, you know, they were able to weather the back and forth storm. Uh, that Boston College was able to throw their way. I mean, there were multiple times Carolina was able to, you know, get a lead. I mean, especially second half where they were able to get, you know, uh, a seven, eight-point lead. Um, The highest that it grew to was nine. But every time Boston College kept fighting back, and it would have been easy for Carolina to get frustrated, especially once the officiating really started to, you know, become a game – of calling just about everything, trying to turn this into a game that would have to be won at the free throw line. Um, but Carolina did a good job of adjusting the way that they were playing, um, and I think you know it allowed Carolina to pick up this win. And now, I mean, you know, again, it's not one that you're going to put at the top of the resume. But again, you just continue to find ways to win, even in games where you're not playing your best. You're finding ways to win these games by double digits, I mean, that is unheard of from Carolina's teams here in the recent past, I mean, especially within the last four or five years. And so to be able to do that, it's just it goes back to what we've been talking about all year about how great it is just to be seeing Carolina basketball. Yeah,
0: it was more of a workman-like type of win today where Carolina could never pull away. Um, And some of that was, you know, their own doing where – Their shot selection at times didn't warrant it, and they would have a defensive lapse or two. That's also just part of going on the road in this conference. You're not going to go into many gyms and blast teams. Just just not going to happen. But you've got to be able to control games. And that's what Carolina did this afternoon. You look at the final thirty seconds of the first half. You're down thirty-one to thirty. You close with four points to get a three-point lead going into the break. And then you come out of the second half and you score six. You, you score the first six points. You turn a one-point deficit into a nine-point lead, and you kind of control everything from there. Um, and I think you know that, that was a good sign of some a. Good execution to in the first half, something that Carolina has improved definitely at this year. There's still a lot of room for them to grow. And then being ready when the second half to deliver that first punch to not let Boston College reestablish themselves in the ballgame. Um, speaking of Boston College and, and the, the dominance Carolina continues to um, exp- you know, experience against them. They're now 17 and 1 in the last 18 matchups. They're 10 and 1 in Connie Forum. They're 23 and 6 all time against the Eagles and 21 and 5 since they left the Big East to join the ACC. Let's take a look now at the box score. Um, For Carolina, it's a little bit of pretty, a little bit of ugly, but all in all, it, it, it totals itself up to a winning box score. Um, Carolina shot 45% from the field today. They were 25 of 56. Boston College, meanwhile, shot 35%. They were just 19 of 55. The perimeter shooting was not there for either team. Carolina, 5 of 17 from three, 29%. Uh, Boston College, 3 of 17 from three, 18%. Both teams lived and made a lot of hay at the foul line. Carolina was 21 of 26 from the charity strike. Meanwhile, Boston College was 25 of 29. I think it's the the first time that an opponent has um, made more free throws in a game than Carolina, uh, at least in ACC play. I know that, that's been the case. Um, so, so Carolina – um, you know, he needs to shore up that. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. 11 turnovers for the Heels led to seven points for Boston College. Just four Boston College turnovers led to just four points for Carolina. The Heels won the rebounding margin 43-28. to 28. on the defensive glass, 10-5 on the offensive glass. They outscored them second chance points, 11-6. Bench favored Carolina 17-14. Points in the paint favored Carolina 24-22. And Carolina 15 assists on 25 made baskets. Uh, Boston College with nine assists on their 19 made baskets. You know, you look at the box score, um, the reason why the game was as close as it was in the first half was Carolina turned it over nine times, and even though it didn't lead to a lot of points per se for Boston College, they were just giving you know giving away possessions and and, 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 and you know having empty possessions themselves. You clean that up in the second half, and you saw how much harder it was for Boston College to get consistent stops. So um, you know eleven turnovers as a healthy. Uh, you know, turnover margin when you're on the road. Um after the first half I felt like Carolina was gonna blow past that, but you've got to credit them for, for, for limiting their turnovers in the second half. Now let's hear from the head coach of the Tar Heels, Hubert Davis, and he said in his post game press conference that they made winning plays when they had to in the second half. You
1: know, when we needed to get a stop, we got a stop. When we needed to get a rebound. We got a rebound when we needed to score. Uh, We got the ball to the right hands and they were able to score. And I just, you know, we always talk about how you're going to react and how you're going to respond when good and bad things happen. And that's the only thing that you have control over. And I was really proud of how our team reacted and responded. And, uh, you know, the second half, we only had two turnovers, made 17 in the last 18 free throws. Uh, It's an eighth straight game that we've out-rebounded an opponent. And um, we just got to do a better job of defending without fouling. But I thought, you know, our initial, uh, you know, getting stops was really good. And just, again, just really proud of the guys.
0: You know, when you you hear what all he had to say, you know, you, you look at what Carolina did right in the second half. He wasn't wrong. It felt like every time they needed to get the stop, whether it was a four-point game, six-point game, they got the stop. When they needed to get the rebound, it felt like Harrison Ingram or Armando Baycott was there to get the rebounds. And then the free throw shooting, I thought, in the second half was really the difference. To make 17 of your 18 down the stretch was important because you were in the bonus with 11 minutes to go in the game. Meanwhile, you put – You put Boston College in the bonus with over 12 minutes left to go in the game, but this is something that, when you look at championship caliber teams, and at 15 and three, it's okay for us to talk about Carolina as a national title contender. Like you look at UConn, you look at Purdue; um, those are two. You know, and you look at Arizona; those might be. Your teams that are right there where Carolina is right now. That's what those teams do on a consistent basis, even more so than Kansas, a team that lost today on the road to a not-so-good West Virginia team. And the fact that Carolina is doing this now and they're doing it routinely means they're building good habits. And it means that when it gets to those times in the game, they're not afraid to make winning plays. And we haven't seen that consistently under Hubert Davis – Outside of the NCAA tournament run, you go back to the win at Duke and Coach K's final game up until the national title game. That was the only time we've seen Carolina be comfortable in these types of moments. It's why you look at some of the games last year that Carolina literally just threw away, it was frustrating because the game was there for Carolina to have. The plays were there to be made, and you weren't either tough enough to make them, good enough to make them, or both. Um, and that's something that's different this year, but you shouldn't be overly surprised because they said today on the broadcast, this is the fifth oldest team in college basketball. granted, you got a 25 year old in your starting lineup, but you got multiple 23 year olds. you got a 22 year old as well. and you know in the day and age where the portal dominates things and NIL is a big talking point, every major college basketball coach is trying to find a way to get older and Carolina got older in the offseason, and you can't tell me it's not a direct correlation to them being more successful in uh, game-closing situations.
2: I mean, look, they are guys that are on the floor typically late in the game. I mean, we saw it again today. Jalen Withers has really started to settle into his role, and now that means that he's playing big minutes and playing them late in the game as well. So with that – I mean, Carolina's gonna ha- be able to have more success down the stretch. But even you know when Jalen Withers wasn't playing well, this is a team that all year, really outside of you know the game against UConn and, and it really that stretch of UConn and Kentucky has really done a good job of closing games well. Um, it, it's just every time this team has been faced with a scenario where they need to stop, where they need to make a big shot, it seems like they do it, and you saw it again today. I mean, they. Go the final three minutes without letting Boston College score. Uh, You get you know the big shot when it's a four point game. Harrison Ingram not having the best day offensively by any stretch hits a huge three, and we've seen that so many times from him this year. Um, He's a guy that you know at times it's it's up and down offensively, but every time that you need him to step up late in a game and make some sort of contribution for Carolina, he always seems to be able to do that for you. And RJ Davis, I mean, this is just what he does at this point. But I thought today, you know, it was really that shot from Harrison Ingram and then being able to get to the free throw line. And as you said, knock down those free throw attempts that you needed desperately at that time. And look, it may seem like it's easy, and the guys that got to the line for Carolina during that time, those were the guys that needed to get there because they are good free-throw shooters. But this is not the greatest free-throw shooting team that Carolina's ever had. So for them to be able to hit all but one of 18 free-throws down the stretch, that's huge for Carolina. And it's why Carolina is in the position that they're at is because they've learned how to close games like this. Yes, it is the veterans that are doing the things that they have to do, but it's also Elliot Cadeau, you know a young freshman that has found a way to down the stretch of the season outside of you know one game, found a way not to turn the ball over in crucial moments for Carolina um, and, and you know he's done a good job of sharing the basketball in those moments and i I think everything that you're seeing from this group shows you and why we think this is a team that can be a national title contender. Yeah, Boston College is not a team you're going to pound your chest over. But when you're seeing the same characteristics show up late in second halves every time Carolina is in a close game, it really starts to make you believe that this is a team that, when faced with those types of same scenarios later in the season, especially in the month of March, Carolina will be able to take advantage of
0: Yeah, I mean that's, that's, that's what you got to do. You gotta you gotta capitalize on the opportunities that are in front of you, and I think this is that, that's what this team has done as good a job of 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 of, of any here in recent uh, memory is making the most of the opportunities, capitalizing and and doing what you got to do to win games on the road in this conference. Um, because if you look around. You know, the, the the scores today, it's still not easy to leave your home gym and go on the road and win. No matter how many, you know, projected NCAA tournament teams, Joe Lenardi, Joe Lenardi or Mike DeCorsi might tell you, this is still a tough conference to consistently win in or win on the road in. And, you know, when you're 4-0, you don't get to 4-0 by accident. Let's take a look at the stat of the game. I went rebounding. Um, when you look at just how close the game was, um you know in the first half and in the second half and with the way that both teams shot the ball under 50% both shot it under you know 30% from 3 um you, you know someone had to grab those rebounds and today that was that was carolina um, and they did so to the tune of 43 to 28 um it's the eighth straight opponent i think Hubert Davis said that they've out-rebounded um so they're, they're they're they continue to excel um in that category And Tom Wormy said on the broadcast entering today in the six ACC games Carolina played before today, this was the best – this was the best rebounding team in ACC games at over 41 rebounds. And, um, you know, we've talked about the defense improving, the rebounding improving as the season's moved along. To me, the rebounding improvement has been more surprising than Mm -hmm. the defensive improvement. Because I believed Carolina could be good defensively. I thought the, the the roster was built, the talent and the skill set was there. There had to be the buy-in. I didn't think they were built to be a good rebounding team. Um, I didn't think they were big enough. I didn't think they were skilled enough. Um, and they've, been, they've, been, they've proven me wrong. 13 more rebounds from Harrison Ingram. He picks up his fourth double-double. You got nine from Armando Bacon, six from R.J. Davis. So your three best players lead you in rebounding and, and combined for 28 of the 43 rebounds in this game. And when you look at what Carolina's done on the road, they haven't shot the ball well. Um, and I think there's going to be a road game where they will shoot it well. But what they have done is they've pummeled teams on the glass. They pummeled Pittsburgh. They pummeled Clemson. We saw them beat up NC State. And then today, they never allowed Boston College to establish a presence on the glass. And, you know, we've talked so much about seeing old-time Carolina basketball. Rebounding is at the forefront of it. And, you know, I'd be remiss to say that as we sit here now in the middle of January, this is the best rebounding team this conference has to offer.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to think that at this point because, I mean, you're talking about Armando Baycott and Harrison Ingram being guys that just about every time they're out there, you're expecting them to come away with double-doubles. And, uh, I mean, for Harrison Ingram, you know, I thought we saw it early in the season in – the Bahamas. He was able to rebound. He was he put up two of the three games he had double doubles. And we thought, okay, maybe this is what he is. But I thought after that, you know, we sort of saw him become a guy that could pull in, you know, 5, 6 rebounds a game. And I I had become content with that being the guy that he was. And now here in conference play, now we're starting to see that no, he is the guy that's capable of being able to pull down double-digit rebounds per game. And you're seeing it. I mean, I'll be damned that the last couple of games for Carolina, well, really the last few in conference play, he hasn't been their best rebounder. Um, I know you know, Armando Baycott is still incredibly important to what Carolina wants to do rebounding-wise, but Harrison Ingram is a guy that seems to just come away with every rebound, especially the important ones late in games. But the other guy that needs to be talked about here is R.J. Davis because this is now back-to-back games where R.J. has been a huge contributor rebounding the basketball. And you know, I, I don't know if that's something that's sustainable for the entire season, but again, he's showing that he is more more than capable of being a guy that can contribute for Carolina in that area. Really one of the areas that we haven't really talked about a whole lot with him. We know the scoring's there. He's, you know, a really solid defender. Um, But I don't know if many of us looked at him as a guy that would be able to really rebound at a high level because of how small he is. Well, the way that he's rebounding right now shows you that he is capable of doing that and, that it's going to be a challenge for some of these other guards in the conference to be able to match what he's bringing to the table. And then, I mean, you're seeing guys off the bench that are rebounding. I mean, today, Jalen Washington doesn't pull down a rebound in the six minutes that he's on the floor, but you see Jalen Withers. I mean, not the best rebounding day that we've seen from him recently, but he pulls down three rebounds. James Okonkwo pulls in three rebounds and his most significant action that he's played and Seth Trimble rebounding well, out of the guard spot. So Carolina's just getting contributions all over the place. And the thing it, that's impressive is that, yeah, we thought Carolina might be able to eventually start winning some of these rebounding battles. But Carolina is almost doubling up just about every opponent that they're playing. I mean, you're seeing some of the some, some of the uh, you know final margins in these games on the glass. I mean, plus, t- plus 10, plus 12, plus 15 like today. That's what you want to see from Carolina. That's what you're used to seeing from Carolina. And the fact that we got there as quickly as we did from being the team that was losing these rebounding battles by a pretty significant margin is what makes you feel pretty confident that Carolina has a chance to be one of the better uh, teams come March when we enter the NCAA tournament.
0: What I'll say about RJ as a rebounder um, is, A, he's not afraid to go amongst the trees and then try to get a board against the big. He's also a great weak side rebounder, um, and he does a really good job of tracking down loose balls as well, just giving that extra effort to to make sure that, that Carolina secures possession. He also tied a, a, a pretty impressive school mark today. He was 2 of 7 from 3 making it the 15th straight game that he's made uh, multiple three-pointers in, tying a record set by Justin Jackson during the 2016-2017 season. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, that team would go on and win a national championship, as we all know. Um, and, And RJ will have a chance to set that record on Monday night at home when Carolina hosts Wake Forest. Let's now get into general thoughts, takeaways from the win um, you know, Dan Cromarty puts in here for Baycott to, to to go scoreless in the first half, and we're still up four at the half was impressive, and that's my first takeaway: is a big second half from Armando Baycott, and he scores ten points. He finishes one rebound shy of a double double, and I put it in the article, which you can find on HeelToughBlog and I even had some Tar Heel fans that were mocking calling a 10-point half a big big half and labeling that he's been exposed, teams have figured him out, um, and that he's just a liability because he can't stay out of foul trouble. This guy didn't score in the first half, and he was a part of the matchup we all wanted to see today, him versus Quentin Post, because those are two of the best bigs in the conference. Um, And as as I told you guys, Quentin Post may be the best player in college basketball no one knows about, because he plays at Boston College, and for and I, I think it does a speak volumes that Carolina can overcome subpar halves from Baycott and still be winning. No matter if it's at home, it's definitely more impressive on the road. But if he doesn't score those ten points in the second half, does Carolina win the ball game? I I don't know. And it felt like every time he scored. It was a big bucket. It was one of those winning plays that Hubert Davis talked about in our quote of the game. And and so, look, I know a lot of Carolina fans have their issues with with the big man um, because this is a guy that has kind of just been basically the same player the last three years. But you've seen a healthier version of him. You've seen a better uh, in shape version of him this year. And it showed up in big moments. And does winning Boston College uh, at Boston College qualify as a big moment? No. But if we would have lost, we'd have been sitting here complaining, right? And, and so um, for a guy that literally all he wants to do is help this team and this program win doesn't care about his individual accolades, and Lord knows he's accomplished a lot of them. For him to respond in the second half I thought was impressive and was a big reason why Carolina emerged victorious this afternoon.
2: I mean, I said it during the game. I, I thought he was the guy that really stuck out to me in the second half. I mean, you know, 10-point half, people may say it's not that impressive, but that was tied for the team lead, and Cormac Ryan was right there with him. Cormac Ryan got to the free throw line two more times than he did or else – he might have been the guy that actually ends up leading the team in scoring. It's important to remember with this team that this is going to be a more balanced group because of just how many different guys they have that can score the basketball on this team right now. And You saw it you know, today. I mean, first half was a half that was controlled by R.J. Davis offensively. In the second half, R.J. only has five points, and Carolina still finds a way to put up 42 points. Uh, in that second half, because you have 10 from Armando, 10 from Cormac Ryan, and nine from Harrison Ingram. But I thought the difference with Armando in that second half was the way that he was affecting things on the defensive end of the floor. I just thought you saw multiple times where he ended up getting switched on to guards on the perimeter and I thought every time that he got switched onto a guard, he did a really good job. The one time that Carolina gave up a basket that I can remember him getting switched off onto a guard, it wasn't even his fault. It was an offensive rebound that was given up because Elliott Cadeau was then put on Quentin Post and wasn't able to get the rebound. But Armando, you know, he's able to handle himself in those situations. He has two key blocks in that second half. You're really seeing that. I think people are really so focused on what he's doing on the offensive end of the floor. They're expecting him to come out and have, you know, 10 rebounds and a half. And I mean, look, second half, he pulled down six rebounds. That's that's pretty good. Um, but I, the thing that I feel like people are not realizing is that he is having such a big effect on this team on the defensive end of the floor. And that's really where you're seeing – you know, the weight loss that he had in the offseason, the better stamina. Um, and and on a day like today, taking advantage of the fact that, hey, I got in foul trouble in the first half. I only played 10 minutes. Well, that's fine. This is going to allow me to have a little bit more energy in the second half. And I think it really showed up with what he was able to do on that end of the floor. And the other thing, going back to the offensive end of the floor for him, that people have to look at is that he was 4-4 four four from the foul line. Coming into this year, Armando was not the greatest free-throw shooter. He was a guy that most of the time he went to the foul line. You were saying, okay, give me one or two, and we're probably pretty satisfied. Now he's at the point where he is shooting the ball so well from the foul line that he feels like one of those guys that you can trust. I mean, he is probably this team's third or fourth best foul shooter, Um, and that's really saying something because – You know, this is a guy that, you know, in years past, we were just hoping they don't put him at the foul line. And now it's a situation where, hey, let's get the ball in his hands. If it's not Cormac Ryan, if it's not R.J. Davis, then it needs to go to Armando Baycott because he's the guy that can hit free throws. So for him to hit those free throws down the stretch of the game at important times for Carolina, I just thought you saw him step up when he needed to and you know, it, without him out there today, who knows what this game ultimately ends up looking like because he did a great job of affecting the game on the offensive end, and Quentin Post wasn't nearly as effective as he was in the first half when Armando was only out there for 10 minutes as he was in the second half when Armando was out there for 16.
0: Yeah, he picked up his third foul a minute and a half into the second stanza but he told Hubert Davis, I'm good. Leave me in. Coach trusted him, doesn't foul um, the rest of the way. And, and so um, he's not this team's best player. Um, that's, that's R.J. Davis. But he's he's the team's most important player um, because they, they need him um, to play at a high level if they want to achieve all of their goals all of their dreams. So let's talk about the defensive effort from the positive before we get to the fouling issue. Um, You you know, you go on the road again and you give up less than 70 points. All seven uh, ACC teams have scored 70 or less. You hold a team to shoot 35% from the field, 18% from three. got to love that. And you got to love that Hubert Davis, um, you know, brought the full court press back. You saw it in the first half. Uh, not when Carolina was down by a significant margin, but just to go ahead and set the tone. And it was very evident that he was frustrated with the way that his team competed defensively the other night against Louisville when they gave up 70 points, but they allowed Louisville to shoot, you know, almost 50% from the field and over 40% from three. You've got to love that this team, you know, dug back in, got back to what they've been doing, in ACC play, which is just guard their tails off, and they did that for the most part tonight. The other issue is, and I, look, ACC officiating—we know what it is. It's 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 not good. Um, it's kind of like your stepmother's cooking. You've, you 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 probably had better in your life, but you're you're also talking about. Um, a team that at times cannot stop itself from fouling the opponent. And, you know, Hubert said it in his post game today with Jones Angel. He, he was like – he's like, we could have played better defensively because how many points did we give them at the foul line? Look, Boston College scored 66 points. They scored 25 of them from the free throw line. 25. So you're talking – you know, almost, what, almost, I was, I was going to say a, a third. But, you know, maybe that's not the right the right number. But 25 of 66, way, like it's just way too much, right? Mm-hmm. And um, were there some questionable calls? Mm-hmm. Yes, there were. Um, there was a lot of contact that wasn't called, and then there was little contact that was called. This is why I said the other week this team hasn't peaked because this is something that they can still improve at. You go back to the first half at NC State, they put State at the foul line, I think it was 15 times. You look at tonight, put Boston College at the foul line 29 times. Um, and I'd rather do this now as opposed to March, but this has got to be something that Carolina's got to adjust to the way of the game's being officiated and find ways to play good individual and team defense without fouling deep in the shot clock.
2: Yeah, and I mean, look, it's been a problem for the, the majority of the year. Early in the year, it was really focused on specific players that were having this issue. Uh, Elliot Cadeau, who I think has improved in that area. Jalen Withers, who for the most part has improved in that area. Today, certainly not the best day for him on that end, but um, – I think that's the thing is that you're still seeing, especially when the bench guys are in, there are times where Carolina just cannot find a way to defend a single possession without picking up some sort of foul. And you saw it early in the second half. You saw it uh, late in the first half, too, when some of these backup guys start coming in. I mean, one of the guys, we've seen him out there multiple times, and every time that he's been in the game recently, I mean, Zayden is getting into foul trouble almost immediately every time he's in the game. I mean, he picks up one or two fouls. I mean, today he played two minutes, he had two fouls. Um, You know, Jalen Washington, six minutes, three fouls. So this is the thing is that you're seeing a lot of uh, these guys pick up fouls right away. The guys that are supposed to be coming in and helping your starters who might be in foul trouble – are quickly getting themselves into the same situation as well. But, you know, yeah, I, I think today there were definitely some moments that you could have questioned some of the foul calls. I thought it was the truth. I really did that, you know, watching the way that Carolina was defending for the most part, I, I thought they were doing a pretty solid job. They were calling a lot of touch fouls, especially after you had a little bit of chippiness between Harrison Ingram um, and. Uh, you know uh, the uh, player for Boston College, uh, Harris Jr. I think you know for Carolina, you just you have to control what you can control. The officiating at times, they're they're gonna call some things that are frustrating. Um, I mean, the, the the one foul call that sticks out the most to me in that second half was the foul called on Armando Baycott on the turnaround jumper by Quentin Post. I mean, look, that's one. Like There's nothing you can do about that. But there's also other moments where you end up leaning on a guy maybe when you don't have to. You end up trying to reach in for a ball that you don't have to. And even if you don't end up making the contact, you know that they're calling the game. They're looking for any reason to blow that whistle. So for Carolina, you just have to be smart about that because, yeah, putting a team like this Boston College team at the foul line, I mean, this is a really good free-throw shooting team for Boston College. Um, I mean, you saw just about every single guy, every time they would go to the foul line and they would put up their season statistics, it wasn't shocking that guys were making the amount of shots that they were from there. They're a great free throw shooting team. And so, Carolina, this was something they did a really good job of early in the season. You know, first three, four games of the year, Carolina was right near the top of the country in terms of fewest free throw attempts allowed per game. Now, I mean, you're seeing it's built slowly throughout the entire season, but that's one area that you're right. Carolina's got to improve, and it's why people that are saying that they've peaked, that's an area you can point them to and say they still need to get better there because when you're in these close games down the stretch of the season against the better teams that you'll face in the NCAA tournament, you've got to be able to find a way to – Keep them off the scoreboard by not allowing them to knock down shots, but also not allowing them to get to the free throw line and just crossing your fingers that they miss free throws.
0: A good thing that came out of Carolina's foul trouble um, was you got productive minutes from everybody on the bench. Hubert said in his post game that every guy that played impacted the game. You know, Jalen Withers scored nine points in fourteen minutes. Um, He hit a big corner three on an inbounds pass in the first half. That was, whereas Carolina was, you know, getting its feet and and, then settling into the game. Steph Trimble scored six points in 15 minutes. But you really got to highlight what James Okonkwo did, playing eight minutes, scoring two points. But I thought his defense really was something that was valued. Um, Hubert hinted in his pregame or in his in his pre I guess his pregame press conference on Friday mm-hmm. that you were going to see him guard Quentin Post um, because you know, as we've seen this year Carolina has used multiple defenders to wear him down um, I, when Okokwo checked into the game just kind of wondering why that guy was in because he hasn't played first half minutes all year long let alone an ACC play but he immediately impacted the game. And I thought was he validated the the, the reason to, to put him in. And, you know, something that Hubert has said all along, as Carolina head coach, is I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know how, but you're going to get an opportunity to play. And it's your job to be prepared to play. First two years, that message I don't think was received as well. And it, I think in a lot of ways it – was a big reason why they maybe didn't didn't develop the bench that they have now. Uh, There's no doubt that it led to the the mass exit of transfers that we saw, especially after last season. This second unit has bought into that message because they're not consistent minutes outside of Tremble and Withers because even Jalen Washington in the last two games, he hasn't played double-digit minutes. So even he's not guaranteed to get – consistent minutes off the bench, but they're expected to be ready to play. And I think it speaks volumes of the type of kids Carolina has coming off the bench when a guy like James Okokwu, who was basically a part of the Biscuit Boys and only plays in mop-up duty, checks into the game on the road, in the ACC in the first half, and impacts the game. That, as much as anything I had uh, today, I thought was fun to see.
2: Yeah, it was great to see because he's a guy that I think, you know, we kind of didn't really know what he was going to be when he came to Carolina. Was he going to be a guy that would eventually have an effect? Or was he a guy that Carolina was just recruiting, kind of stashing at the end of the bench, and if they needed him, they would eventually use him? Uh, t- today, I-, I think you saw that this is a guy that is going to be able to make an impact whenever Carolina needs him too. And i, I got to be honest, you know, we've seen some physical big men – here recently that Carolina has played. And when Armando Baycock comes out of the game, Carolina is at a little bit of a disadvantage on the defensive end of the floor. I think James Okonkwo is a guy that can handle himself on that end. I don't think anybody ever really questioned that when we watched him uh, with what he was doing at West Virginia, when you watched him maybe in the off season when he was playing in uh, the, the, uh, the the tournament uh, overseas I I think he's a guy that can rebound well. He can protect the rim. And I thought you saw today, he did some good things offensively. His missed shot that he had was actually a really good look, great adjustment to be able to get the shot off. He has a huge dunk for Carolina off the alley-oop from Elliott Cadeau that was a part of that little spurt before the half that allowed Carolina to go in with a halftime lead after it looked like they wouldn't. I think you know he made a really significant impact today, and he's a guy that you got to keep an eye out moving forward uh an eye out for moving forward rather because he he's he's got what Carolina wants on the inside, and that's the thing is that every time you seem to throw someone new out there, they're giving you something different and I think now you know carolina they they, they as you said really they have seven guys that they can use on a night in night out basis. Jalen Washington is a guy that I, at this point, I mean, he's out there every night, but I mean, his role is one that, you know, could diminish if, if Carolina sees that a guy like a can bring them more what they're looking for there, or even Zayden high, if he's able to sort of settle into his own. So, I mean, look, it's seven, but then there's so many other guys that we talk about that can rotate in, and have an effect in these games. And so it's amazing just to be at that point because for the longest time, it didn't feel like Carolina really had any depth. I mean, we talked about the Iron Five Back during the 2021-22 season, Carolina found a sixth in a guy in Puff Johnson, who you know on this bench would be averaging, you know, probably the minutes that Jalen Washington is averaging. He was somewhere right around that mark. Um, and you know, even last year, you did not have guys off the bench that could make significant co- contributions, especially like this. Now, I mean, it's gotten to the point where Carolina is so comfortable playing multiple different lineups. And there's ones that you sort of ask yourself sometimes, where's the scoring out here? Um, There's other times, you know, you're asking, how do they match up well defensively? But it's very, very rare because it seems like just about everybody is able to to hold their own, and guys are emerging and stepping up when they need to, and that's the signs of a really good bench and one that could help you a lot when you get to the most important time of the year in March.
0: Really quickly, let's transition to our discussion topic before we get out of this edition of the podcast. We left with some of these numbers to start off the show, but we'll, we'll, we'll reiterate them here. Um, Carolina's won six straight ACC games by double digits for the first time since they won 10 straight back in 1992-1993. Um, this is the sixth time in program history they've won six straight ACC games by double digits, and I think today was their thirteenth win of their fifteen on the year that have come by double digits. The uh, the, the two that haven't been were home wins over Tennessee and Florida State. Um, and so, when you look at all those numbers and all that data, um, you, you know, is it are, are we at the point now where we're comfortable putting Carolina? In that tier one teams of college basketball, because a few weeks ago, like I had Carolina in tier two, I, I still had them a step below um, UConn, Kansas, Purdue, Arizona, Kentucky. You flash forward, you, you flash forward two weeks. Um, I think Carolina is better than. Kansas and Arizona is right now or are right now. And I'm at the point now where I'm comfortable talking about Carolina as a national kind co- title contender in that tier one group. When you get the bracket, you know, on Selection Sunday, Jay Billis is going to tell you there's 25 to 30 teams that can win a national championship. In reality, there's 8 to 14, and there's tiers of how those teams really – can win a national championship. I think after what they did today, what they continue to do, Carolina has emerged as a Tier 1 national title contender in college basketball.
2: Yeah, I mean, anybody that is still questioning, and I've seen plenty of people that still question why Carolina is where they're at. Um, I, I mean, again, you, you first, you have to just look around the rest of college basketball and what's happening. Um, teams are falling all over the place to – teams that are unranked too we're not talking about ranked teams beating up on ranked teams and that's the reason why they're falling um teams are falling into these traps especially going on the road and having to play conference opponents and carolina has not carolina is 4-0 on the road in conference play they have won each game by double digits And they have yet to allow more than 66 points on the road in one of those games. So Carolina's taking care of business there. We know how good they are at home, especially, you know, it's two different teams basically. Carolina on the road, really great defensive team. Not to say they aren't good defensively at home, but Carolina at home, a team that puts up a lot of points, scores the ball at a very high level. That's the thing that's so impressive about what Carolina's doing. And now, yeah, I mean, you look at UConn. Uh, they were able to weather the storm uh, as well as anybody would with their arguably their best player out, um, for a stretch of time with Donovan Klingon, uh, out and then. Uh, you know Purdue I think is one of those teams that's still up there um, I, I with them they're one of those teams I'm always gonna question as they get later and later into the season because we've seen it so many times especially once they get into the tournament um, as to whether or not they are one of the best teams in the country but yeah Kansas goes down today to West Virginia I think you can have that conversation about Carolina being better than them Houston a team that yeah is an outstanding defensive group, but I, I don't know how great they are defense or, or offensively. Excuse me. Um, and then you know you look at teams like Tennessee. Carolina's beaten Tennessee. Um, Kentucky. I know Carolina uh, fell to them, but Kentucky's a team that's lost a couple of games in conference that I think it, you know has people questioning just ex- exactly how good they are in terms of are they a national title contender? So is doing everything right when it comes to avoiding the pitfalls, and they're stacking up these wins. I mean, as you mentioned, Carolina's won 15 games, and 13 of them are by double digits. It's hard to ask a team to be much more dominant than that, and I know people are going to look around and say, oh, Carolina plays in the weakest power conference out there, which first of all, is not even correct. I've seen people with that take. If you think that this conference is worse than the Pac-12, then you really need to do some actual research about college basketball. I get it. The Pac-12 has some good teams in the middle of their conference, but they don't have heavy hitters like Carolina, Duke, um, and even some of the teams in the middle portion of that conf- uh, of the conference. Then we've seen it before. When the ACC gets into the tournament, those teams really do shine. So – Carolina deserves some credit for what they're doing right now. Um, They played a tough out-of-conference schedule. They won some games at a conference that they needed to to build their resume. And I think right now there is plenty of reason to be having that conversation about Carolina as one of the best teams in the country, if not the best team in the country, if they continue to to win the way they are right now.
0: Yeah, Joe Lenardi updated his bracketology within the last few hours. Still has Carolina as the fourth number one seed, but albeit a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, And for a guy that uh, is, you know, very much on the forefront of devaluing the ACC as a basketball conference, for him to have Carolina at the one line tells you what he thinks of them. And, you know, look, there's no denying the, the numbers stack up. They're top 10 in the AP poll, top 10 in Ken Palm, top 10 in the net. Um, they're only, they're, and, they're the only, and they're the only ACC team um, that can say that they're top 10 in all three. So, um, you, you know, I think it it's, it's definitely warranted saying that, yes, as of now, and there's still a lot of basketball to be played and the schedule is going to get tougher, but I don't think losses in the future are going to make us veer in a different path. Carolina has emerged as a legitimate threat to win their eighth overall national championship and their seventh NCAA title. Well, with that, guys, that's going to wrap up another live edition of the Four Corners Podcast. do want to thank all you that chimed in here on the comments, Greg Ward, um, Sean Williams, um, Greg Newman. Um, we, we, We appreciate those comments. We'll do a much better job working those comments in as we continue to do live editions of the show which will be back tomorrow. Um, of course, as you know, Carolina quick turnaround, their first Saturday-Monday turnaround of the season. It's the first time that they can kind of prepare as like, like they will for the NCAA tournament. We'll be live back tomorrow afternoon before the uh, 3 o'clock NFL playoff game to preview Carolina and Wake Forest. In the meantime, guys, we do encourage you guys to visit the website, YelToughBlog.com for full coverage of Carolina's win over the Boston College Eagles. Uh, the recap is already posted on the site. And I'll be up late tonight getting ready and starting to work on that Wake Forest preview. Any news and notes that come out on the football side of things, Anthony has you covered on that front. Um, so make sure you're staying locked in. HeelToughBlog.com for the latest Carolina basketball, Tar Heel football coverage. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, uh, just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. Or there, we do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, that's going to wrap up this edition of the show. I do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Get any sweet in the back